If you just said this, right? I have to go out and have another hundred of your candidate. I'd, I, I, <laughs> you said that. What I'm saying is, I'd have to take out. Okay, I'll take out Conor Whelan then. Conor Whelan, I, that's it. I quit. Subscribe to the GA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance was just lacked that intensity. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day and every week we're giving away a Gillette Labs shaving kit so to be in with a chance of winning just let us know who you think should be in the performance rankings the best place to enter is the off the ball Instagram page you'll see the comments box in our story where you'll be, give, you'll be able to give us suggestions every Sunday night Nathan what are we looking at here first I won't lie this was the greatest weekend of sport in recent memory. I was on to our producer, Colin Buhig, saying, Rory McIlroy wins. We're not having any red. We're not having any orange. We're going all green. <laughs> all green on the performance rankings. It was that sort of weekend where we could have just gone all green anyways. But because Rory has to end up in the orange, we have decided to have some red. And uh, we're going to start with the All Blacks, who thoroughly deserve to be in red. An absolute shambles uh, yet again at the weekend. First home series lost in almost three decades. A fifth defeat in the last eight games against Ireland. First time since 1998 they suffered back-to-back home defeats. And it wasn't even the stats around it. It was just the general performance in that first half where... It was all Ireland. It was all Ireland who inflicted it upon them as they built up a 19-point lead. But everything we've sort of come to know and love about the All Blacks as grown up as kids just doesn't feel like it's there anymore. Like, the amount of basic errors that they make. Like, handling errors. Handling errors from the All Blacks. This is just not what should be happening. And uh, thank God it did happen. Did you grow up to love the All Blacks? I mean, I grew up uh, hating the All Blacks and uh, wanting them to, to lose as much as possible. So I think uh-huh. we should be basking in this. Everything we've grown up to hate and despise about the All Blacks uh, finally has uh, had our comeuppance. I'm, I most definitely did not grow up uh, hating the All Blacks. Why did you hate the All Blacks? Well, not hating. I mean, just seeing that they were constantly top of the pile and seeing... Yeah, but they were top of the pile and entertaining. Yeah, the top of the pile and also uh, winners in uh, like doing anything to, to win. Maybe they're not growing up and seeing that. Maybe in more recent years, maybe sort of, sort of the Richie McCaw era. Uh, like, I mean, I, I don't have a whole pile of sympathy for New Zealand, basically, is is my point. I've got a bit of sympathy for Ian Foster, potentially. I think that maybe what's happened over the last few days, the statement from New Zealand rugby uh, isn't, I, I don't think does anybody any favours, really. I think uh, John Kerwin came out and actually said that they should be backing him or they should at least, you know, make clear that their statement and make clear their intent over the, the next few months with regards to what they want to do with the head coach whereas it feels like Ian Foster's in a very tricky position right now so I feel a bit of sympathy for him and and that situation but other than that I think the All Blacks will most definitely be back and this is a, a temporary break from greatness isn't it? Well they, they got to make the decision quickly they said it was unacceptable they're going to have a thorough review but the next game is away to South Africa so if you decide to stick with Ian Foster mm. and then you go to South Africa and you get absolutely beaten up well then you're on the back foot for the entire rugby championship so why not make the decision now like they have two of the most sought after coaches in world rugby waiting in the wings either Scott Robinson or Joe Schmidt, 
could you combine the two of them? Can you give Robertson the job and Schmidt work in the background? Are there styles of rugby? Are their management philosophies so different that that couldn't happen? Like, do they want a Joe Schmidt? Like, do they want? I'm sure they would take the Leinster Joe Schmidt. Do they want the Joe Schmidt from Ireland and the incredibly dull rugby that Ireland played in his last couple of years in charge? Is that what the All Blacks need when we're talking about handling errors and just getting back to the basics and getting a job done at the World Cup over the 18 months? It is going to be fascinating. You do expect that they will bounce back, but maybe they don't. Maybe the players aren't there. Maybe this group of All Blacks just isn't of the quality of teams that went before. Maybe they're Maybe we should be looking to get the All Blacks in a World Cup quarterfinal, uh, considering the record that Ireland have them now, rather than fearing it and spending the next 18 months fretting about it. Yeah, I think, well, the, the power of rugby has shifted now. It's South Africa and France that you want to be avoiding o- over the, the course of the World Cup next year. And even then, South Africa looked far from perfect uh, in this, this, this summer series. So maybe it's just France. Maybe France are the only team that you definitely want to avoid. Now, to be fair, it's the, the old conversation around Ireland and maybe their power game, maybe that wasn't as uh, an, an acute factor over the last three weeks as it would be against South Africa or France. And maybe there'll be a bit of a, a rude awakening for Ireland in November when they come up against South Africa maybe again next spring when they play France I, I don't think there's um, anybody's thinking about that right now we will get to Ireland in just a moment but it was an absolutely fantastic morning for them on, on Saturday morning but the, just to kind of like put a bit of meat in the bones of what the New Zealand rugby actually said over the course of the weekend so you had the chief executive Mark Robinson coming out and basically issued a statement saying congratulations to Ireland and their win but clearly the performance was not acceptable as we know they have reflected we all know there is a huge amount of work to do our focus now is to work with Ian and his team to understand thoroughly in advance of the rugby championship what is needed to improve performance and where to go from here we will begin this work immediately that says to me you've got to have a successful rugby championship or it's curtains but that's a waste of time. Mm. Do it now. Do it in the next couple of weeks. Rugby championship, what have you got left then before the World Cup to properly prepare? Like if you're a new coach coming in and trying to implement something against South Africa, these should learn a lot instantly. But I think if you stick with them through the rugby championship, you probably got to stick with them all the way to the World Cup. Yeah, 6th of August is when that kicks off. So it's not a whole pile of time. They're straight into it, basically, when it comes to a camp in a couple of weeks, you'd imagine. Uh, a couple of comments on that. Mark Dunning says, how can anyone hate Jonah Lomu? That is the All Blacks I grew up with. Exactly. And it was class watching him run over England backs in 1995. I can't disagree with that. that. See, I keep forgetting that, you know, your generation, my generation are very different generations. I, uh, yeah. you know, they were the Harlem Globetrotters when I was growing up. Yeah. Whereas they were the big nasty beasts by the time... You know, you were watching them. It's just all nightmares everywhere. Look, nightmares about the All Blacks. Kilkenny also in the red this morning, Nathan. Very harshly, I think. Very harsh. Now, I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm separating myself from this. I, they Me should too. be in the orange. I, I don't believe Kilkenny should be in the red whatsoever uh, for what happened yesterday. But somebody Whose has fault to is go this? in the red. Uh, Colin Buhig again. Yeah, uh, he's from Cork, so this underlines uh, his hatred for all things Kilkenny. Uh, so just whatever clips go out, I want this at the start, that I do not endorse Kilkenny being in the red. But, uh, listen, I think any other side in that All-Ireland final yesterday get beaten by 10 points. It was just the sheer doggedness of Kilkenny that somehow they managed to stick at it they'll have regrets they will definitely have regrets it wasn't a perfect performance despite the fact they ran up a huge score 226 and pushed Limerick as close as they possibly could like their puck out was a disaster in the early stages I was sitting right in line with it and I couldn't figure out what was quite going on because they conceded 1-4 off it. There was too many double scores, too many easy double scores for Limerick. When they got a point, the puck out came straight back to them and they got another point, which, you know, built up a deficit that they could never come back from Kilkenny. But 
Hugh Lawler standing 10 yards in front of Owen Murphy and three or four times the ball to Lawler was either too high, it was too fast, he wasn't quite ready for it, his touch was slightly off and even though Limerick were standing back and they were standing 10 feet, like they allowed them to swarm in and sort of put in place a sense of panic in Kilkenny early on that, that really didn't need to be there and it maybe it was the occasion but it, it felt like it was just it was a basic skill a basic execution and I, I don't think anyone's ever criticised Owen Murphy you can't really but like these were simple things at the start of an All-Ireland final that you have to get right and they missed a lot of chances I, I was surprised to see afterwards I think it was 10 wides apiece it felt as though Kilkenny had had a lot more wides and a lot more scoreable wides it definitely felt you look at some of those scores that uh, Limerick got in the closing stages from out on the left hand side Kilkenny missed four or five of them probably under less pressure Mm. where they just uh, pulled us and it went to the left and all of those things come together and you end up losing the game by two points it did feel on the day that no matter what Kilkenny did Limerick were going to win that game that they yeah. would always always just have enough but the fact that you know when Richie Hogan comes on and gets that monster point that it draws them level with seven minutes left is in itself an achievement I think considering how great this Limerick team are and yeah, Kilkenny I don't think there'll be any great post-mortem about this I don't think there'll be any questioning of Brian Cody and whether there needs to be a change. Like This was an All-Ireland final for the ages and Kilkenny were a big, big part of that. I, I think that the point of the wides is interesting because in the first half I felt that Kilkenny were putting everything over the bar that every, every time they got the ball in their hands in the, the opposition half or every opportunity they got they were taking and I kind of felt that their luck, not their luck, but their accuracy was going to run out eventually and I, I haven't looked at the breakdown of the stats but it kind of feels of the 10 wides probably 8 of them were in the second half. I could be wrong but that's kind of what I felt like that it was the second half where Kilkenny started to get wasteful that they were making every opportunity count in the first half and that's probably the thing that will sting for Cody is that they proved in the first half that they have that accuracy to to, to nail the vast majority of their scoring opportunities and if they'd done that in the second half you could have been looking at a replay even though it felt that Limerick were at times a much better side than Kilkenny and I think that is testament to Kilkenny I don't think too many other teams maybe Galway could have lived with that uh, Limerick performance yesterday it was absolutely excellent and the Hogan score under the Hogan stand for me as well felt like that was going to be significant or there was something poetic about him coming on and and nailing that equaliser but Limerick as they proved against Galway that home stretch push is where they kill you and it's just like the dubs were a few years ago the reason for that is not just down to fitness and the the physique of all the players but also the players that are coming off the bench that they're awesome like even Boylan coming off and and getting a a pretty inspirational score Carl O'Neill who's going to be a superstar coming off the bench like that is serious cavalry to bring on and we'll get to Limerick in a, in a moment on that, but the fact that they didn't even have Keane Lynch yesterday is, is a pretty scary prospect when you consider what's going to happen over the next few years. It's interesting that you talk about uh, Cody and all the time we've spent over the last few years questioning whether or not he's the, the right man for the job. It feels that his job is more secure than ever now, that he can't possibly be questioned and that he's almost leading a team that are as well-placed as anybody to try and stop the four in a row and maybe the five in a row over the next two years. Well, we don't know what's next from Limerick. Like, was that the peak? Was that the peak of Limerick yesterday? Or was it 12 months ago and they're slowly coming back to the pack? It, it doesn't really feel like it. It feels like that's still on their biggest day. As you said, that final stretch in every game, 
they always had enough and they'll start next season rightly as, as overwhelming favourites but Kilkenny right now look the most settled they look the best of the rest like they've got changes coming as well you know are we going to see Richie Hogan again uh, making an impact off the bench is that it done I would hope not because you know the, the atmosphere around the ground changed completely when Richie Hogan came off uh, came on for Kilkenny yesterday so yeah I think I think Kilkenny are going to be there thereabouts and to say like it is just that doggedness I think any other team yesterday wilts under the pressure from Limerick very early in the game but they made it very difficult for themselves because mm. of the start and listen it was a magic magic moment from Gerard Hegarty one of the great All-Ireland final goals Unreal. but the puckouts killed them early on and you know they never led after that they were never able to get themselves in front coming back from that early deficit that, that being said the was the puck out strategy just to get the ball to TJ uh, ASAP and like I mean if you've got TJ Reid in your team it's not the worst tactic in the world we will get Park Maris take on that well, but if it was but it was the initial execution of the short pass when they were going short that constantly broke down it was you know it was a little little puck 10 yards that goes into the defender's hands 10 times out of 10 but they were drop balls it was a bit of nervousness it allowed Limerick to pounce and I think just gave them a bit of energy off the Kilkenny puckers that they really didn't need to get Rory McIlroy is in the amber this morning Nathan a couple of people disagreeing with you on that Richard Redball says how is Rory not in red and Noel Cal makes a point that did cross my mind when you were talking about Rory at the top of the show do you think Rory would have played better if Hovland do you think Rory would have won if Hovland had played better and maybe if, there were, maybe if his playing partner was uh, Cam Smith maybe it would have uh, upped Rory's game a little bit more I don't think so. I think you have to ignore all of these things. How did Tiger Woods' playing partners play in his 15 majors? Like You forget about your playing partner. It's not about them. You go and do it yourself. And Victor Hovland didn't have a very good day, but you got to ignore him. And would Rory McIlroy have been run over by the momentum of Cam Smith? <laughs> the reason he's in orange was because it was a very good week for McIlroy. It's been a very good season for McIlroy. He has finished in the top 10 of all four majors for the first time in his career. But it needed to be a great day yesterday for McElroy to win this. And he just didn't have it. He just didn't have that spark for whatever reason. And like yesterday felt like arguably the momentous day of his career so far. If he won yesterday, he moves on to five majors alongside Seve Ballesteros. And everything we've spoken about over the last eight years, we look at it in a completely different light. Suddenly, he's on course to become the greatest European golfer of all time, the best of the post-Tiger generation. And the momentum to kick on over the next few years, I, I think winning an Open Championship yesterday makes it easier for him to win the Masters in eight months' time easier for him to finish the career Grand Slam and it just felt he was so primed for it after the first three days he was playing so well he was playing within himself he looked very comfortable he felt very confident and it felt written in the stars that the 150th Open Championship at St Andrews are you a great major champion if you've never won an Open at St Andrews and he's become this beacon for well, right or for uh, the righteous maybe more in the PGA Tour against Live Golf and that this was going to be his reward. And I say, even watching it at Crow Park and then rushing home afterwards to watch the back nine, you're just waiting for something to happen. It felt as though he was going to go on a run at some stage and next thing the tournament was over. Yeah. Just like that, the, the 16, 17, 18, they go in a flash and you kept waiting for Rory to to birdie 16 or 17 to put himself in a position where at the very least he'd have a playoff and then 
Cam Smith, you know, he gets the birdie on 18, suddenly he's on 20 under and, and it's gone for Rory. He just, he, he, it, it's left behind and I, it'll be a difficult one to take. He didn't blow up yesterday. Like there's, you know, this isn't his first ever Masters uh, where there's significant scar tissue. But there is definitely a concern at his age that he will look back and go, you know, I finished top 10 in all four majors. I didn't win one. I've had a really good season. I've played really good golf, won the Canadian Open and still couldn't win a major. And it's such a long wait now. It's such a ridiculously condensed season where we have four majors in four months and now there's nothing for eight months. Like we go into the FedEx Cup and he can win as many of them as he wants and win the DP World Tour title and all of that sort of stuff. But none of it really matters to McElroy at this stage aside from winning majors. So I don't think he deserves to be in red. I don't think, you know, I don't think this was a blow up. I don't think it was anything horrific from Rory. Uh, I think Orange is definitely the spot for him. But yeah, incredibly frustrating that, you know, he couldn't really respond to what Cam Smith did yesterday. It, it is possibly the most frustrating Rory McIlroy watch ever because it's not, as you say, the, the agonising explosion at the end of Augusta when he comes so close all those years ago. Like, Richard Redballs has been back in touch to say only sh- shooting two under in those conditions yesterday. He has no reason to complain about not winning. And he's not complaining about not winning. He came out afterwards, he fronted up and said, I mean, I wasn't good enough to win today. And I think that his his own inability to get birdies on that home stretch was, was what screwed him and he was pretty open about that. And Fergus Keogh says, Rory, great golfer, 17 top 10s, nine top fives since the last major, but let's stop kidding ourselves he will never win another its probability is that he he will but I mean it's bloody hard to get over the line especially when someone like Cam Smith comes roaring down the line uh, at you or the alternative here is that this being arguably his best ever major season and he comes away with zero trophies from it what will the scar tissue of that be and what will happen over the next eight months when he has to kind of sit on this like could this potentially be be the most damaging four tournaments of his of his career despite the fact that he's got four top ten finishes in, in the four majors well he's only the third player in the last 50 years to finish eighth or better in all four majors and not win one of them you had Ricky Fowler in 2014 Ben Crenshaw in 1987 and now Rory McIlroy it's very rare that a player will go through a final round of a major uh in the lead, uh, not have a single bogey all day, hit every green all day and still not win the tournament. And St Andrews was tricky this week. They put the pins in difficult positions. There wasn't a huge amount of birdie opportunities from on the back nine on Sunday or on Saturday. Like there was a lot of a lot of lag putting, so a lot of putts from sort of 50 feet that he was putting brilliantly and having easy pars. And yesterday, a couple early on, a couple of makeable birdie putts that if he had one of them, you felt maybe he would have just kicked on from there. But again, just wasn't close enough on a lot of the approach shots. You know, he was getting up, he was having easy pars. He never really looked like he was going to drop too many shots. Is that the mentality thing then? Where he was just happy enough to, to go shoot a 70 yesterday. Well, he said himself he felt he'd have to shoot 68. He felt he'd have to get to 20 under par. And looking but does Rory need to be morning, aiming for 64, really? If Rory's going out saying, I, I, I'm happy enough for the 68, is that actually part of the, the, the reason why he got held back yesterday? But he didn't need to shoot a 64 at the time in that going out with a four-shot lead alongside Victor Hovland, the two of them four shots clear of everyone else. Like If he gets to 20 under par, he's thinking, well, Cam Smith has to shoot 64 to get to 20 under par. Now, it turns out Cam Smith was able to shoot 64 yeah. to get to 20 under par. Like, do you go out and be that 
aggressive. Like Cam Smith had to be incredibly aggressive because he was coming from behind. And there's always a party when you have that sort of lead that's going to be conservative. And in hindsight, absolutely yes, uh, he needed to be more aggressive at times. But the way he was playing, I think he thought he would hold some putts. Like his putting has been exceptional all year. His putting in the first couple of rounds, he was, you know, first hole, first day, holds a 55-footer for birdie. Uh, he was holding a lot of those over the first couple of days. It just didn't quite happen for him uh, over the next couple. And what happens next? Like, who knows? Like, who knows right now where the golfing world is going to be come next April and the Masters at Augusta? You know, we had, I wouldn't say we had a live-free four days, but definitely well, the Open Championship and 150th anniversary. Like, they went to town on the history and Jack Nicholas was there and Tiger spoke emotionally about what it meant to him at St. Andrews and we had the incredible scenes of Friday night of Tiger walking over the Swilkin Bridge and it felt like this was golf trying to remind itself that it wasn't just all about the money and that lasted about 15 minutes yesterday when Cam Smith was asked about it didn't take kindly to the question and basically said I don't know uh, talk to my advisors. I leave all that sort of stuff to them, which wasn't absolutely convincing. Oh. Uh, there's a lot of stories that the way Live Golf are now going is by trying to put together teams by nationality. So we've already seen South African teams and English teams. That Greg Norman's trying to put together an Australian team with Mark Leishman, Adam Scott, and Cam Smith, a huge part of that. And to go and get the champion golfer of the year within a couple of weeks would be an unbelievable coup. They don't have a top 10 player in the world. There's talk that he could be getting anywhere between eight and 100 million to go. Now, there was another interview where he said he's looking forward to the FedEx Cup playoffs, so we don't exactly know. But the other seismic story last night was that there's enormous speculation around Henrik Stenson. There have been murmurings of this for quite a few weeks, but everyone assumed, even though all of Stenson's uh, contemporaries, Poulter, Garcia, McDowell, have all gone, that Stenson has taken the Ryder Cup captaincy. He is the European Ryder Cup captain for Italy next year. But there are many stories coming out of St. Andrews last night that Stenson is going to go. He's going to quit as captain. Well, he'll be sacked as captain instantly and is going to take the money and run, which would be as big a setback as there has been for the European Tour and puts them in a heck of a quandary as to what what do they do? Like their captain has walked out of them. This has never happened before. So I have no idea. I don't think anyone can really predict what's going to happen over the next six, eight months and the impact of Live Golf. But this week is the last time we're going to see all the best players on the golf course together until at least Augusta next year. you know, it could well be the last time this week we ever saw Sergio Garcia play at an Open Championship. He says he's going to quit the European Tour. It doesn't look right now as though they're going to get world ranking points. I think that players who are past champions at Augusta will get in again. I think past champions at the US Open and the Open, if they have an exemption to their 60, will get to do that. But if they don't have world ranking points, everybody is going to crash out of the world's top 100 over the next six months. So you are not going to get in unless you are already exempt. And that's going to mean an awful lot of those players are going to miss out on the majors. But again, maybe maybe the European Tour and the PGA Tour see the writing is on the wall and feel they have absolutely no choice uh, but to somehow go into bed with live golf. But yeah, it's escalating rapidly. For sure. Uh, last couple of bits on the performance rankings, which we'll have loads of time to get into later on, is Ireland and Limerick. Anything you want to say before we uh, speak to the experts this morning, Nathan? Oh, like Limerick yesterday, I just thought the heat of the day, the atmosphere around Crow Park, uh, to do three in a row, 
four and five years, 16 matches unbeaten in the championship. Like they are, they're just a joy to watch. Like there's no question they are heading towards a rightful comparison with that Kilkenny side and Garrod Hegarty. Like, to score one five, his performance in finals three fourteen from play in three All Ireland finals, and it was men against boys stuff. Like even from way back in the stands, he looks about a foot taller uh, than everybody else. I uh, was in his shadow down in Adair Manor uh, for about three hours as we both followed uh, Tiger Woods. He got quite a bit closer to Tiger Woods uh, than I didn't. He's having many conversations uh, with Tiger Woods, but he is a mountain Mm -hmm. of a man. uh, Incredibly nice guy and couldn't be more happy from putting in that performance and just the sheer ambition to go and score that goal right at the start of the game. uh, Like the power, the power behind that shot. I just thought it was a Everything about it was a was a brilliant day, and obviously Saturday morning in Ireland, like the first half. Like if you didn't know, again, if you were growing up in my day and you didn't, and it was still in black and white home, you would have thought Ireland were the All Blacks in that first half. Uh, such was the quality of uh, of their performance. Uh, the other highlight, which hasn't been touched on enough, was Will Jordan's try and Johnny Sexton trying to keep up with him. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, Will Jordan's absolutely incredible. Uh, like, yeah, Ty Byrne, the last 10 minutes, uh, as good as it gets. Like, considering Ty Byrne, it felt there was, you know, he was maybe the form Irish player for so much of the season. And then, like a lot of the Munster players, we didn't really know where they were because the season petered out so much. But to have those energy levels in the last five, 10 minutes, number one ranked team in the world, everyone's saying the greatest ever achievement. And I think people should just appreciate it. Get away from the World Cup. Like, there's too much of an obsession with the World Cup. Yes, Ireland may go to the next World Cup and they may, again, struggle to get past the quarterfinal. And you talk to O'Driscoll, O'Gara, all these guys know that they failed at World Cups. It doesn't mean that everything happens in between is a complete failure because you don't win that game. And I think it's done huge damage to Irish rugby, the obsession with the World Cup, because it feels as though we're not allowed to appreciate anything along the way. So URC, Champions Cup, oh, well, they can deliver there, but can they deliver in the World Cup? Win a Six Nations. But is it peaking too early? Beat the All Blacks. Well, do it in a year's time. Actually, all these things stand alone for their greatness. And a million different things can change over the next year. So worry about the World Cup when it comes along. Absolutely, if Ireland get beaten in a quarterfinal, if they don't even get out of their group, it's an underachievement. It's a disaster at the time. But it doesn't mean that beating the All Blacks is in any ways lessened. We're not going to look back. Are we going to look back in 15 months time and say that was a waste of time winning a Test Series in New Zealand? Absolutely. I don't think so. Yeah, it was pretty class on uh, Saturday morning to say the least. Uh, We do have Gordon Darcy on standby to put some meat in the bones of that conversation in just a moment as well. But for this Monday morning, that is your Gillette Performance Rankings. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 